Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, January 26, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. I'm in a hotel in New York City. He's at home in Connecticut. And I suppose we'll start with uh, the biggest news of the past 24 hours. Chris Mack and the University of Louisville are negotiating a separation agreement. It's 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, at the time of this recording. So if you get into this later on Wednesday or even on Thursday, there's a decent chance, a really good chance, things have already changed drastically. But at this moment, that's where we're at. Chris Mack is still technically Louisville's coach right now, but that's about to change. A meeting of Louisville's Board of Trustees and Athletics Board has been scheduled for later on Wednesday. They are expected at that point to approve whatever buyout has been agreed upon. And then Chris Mack will have gone the way of John Dromo. Dead leg. How did we get here so abruptly? Podcast jinxed the whole thing. I think that's what happened, my man. That's we 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 put this into motion. I blame you. I blame me because Louisville went out a day after we talked about this Sunday night with Sam Bassini. And hello to YouTube. If you have not, please hey YouTube. Hit the like button as you watch, please. Hey so. YouTube. Um they lost at Virginia and after I believe we both said we didn't think uh, Chris Mack would necessarily lose his job at the end of the season. Now he might not have it by the time some people are listening to this podcast now. Which, which by the way, means we were correct. He's not going to lose his job at the end of the season. You're right. Who there was right? Who was right? All we said was, I don't think, I, I'll be surprised if he loses his job at the end of the season. Never said he might lose his job. I never said he wouldn't lose his job this week. Just said he would be surprised if he lost it at the end of the season. Exactly. Um, so, a couple things here. More than a couple, I guess. Uh, yeah, this is obviously accelerated. I, I've got thoughts on if this is even the right move. But there, have, uh, there, there are some rumblings here that this isn't necessarily a situation where Louisville is – the one catalyzing the situation. And by that, I mean, uh, there is some emerging belief, if you will, that this really might be something of a mutual deal. Um, you know, as of this morning, I can report that they, there are still discussions ongoing between Chris Mack and Louisville athletic association. And then the board of trustees, that meeting is going to happen at four Eastern later today and i believe for anyone watching on youtube right now if you're listening on podcast early afternoon or whatever um like we're obviously anticipating this is going to be a sever that happens so we're not going to do an emergency podcast when that happens but we will have something i believe youtube only for the channel so if you want a little more once that happens late afternoon early evening on wednesday we will have something for you then but you know this is not a exact similar situation to uh what happened with Turgeon at Maryland, but we could have a situation, you know, broadly speaking here where Mark Turgeon 
you know, we're now almost two months past this, but I, you know, I learned some time ago, like he did resign. Mark Turgeon was the one who walked into the Maryland athletic offices and said, I'm not going to coach this program anymore. Like I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to do it. It's just, I'm, I'm, I've moved on. I'm past it. I'm not, I'm not taking that, uh, you know, abuse anymore because the fans have been brutal. That's not what's happened here with Mac, but I do think there probably is an element of that where it's gotten real toxic. Um, Louisville fans found me, by the way, because I think on the Sunday podcast I said, you know, I think I think some of the fan base uh, is is okay with moving on, and you know, is is kind of past this. Then I found, then a lot of Louisville fans found me. Said, and Sam, to his credit, on the pod, thank you, Sam, again for coming on. He's he might be on later. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, he said, I think it might be more. Oh, it's more. <laughs> They are, man, they have turned on, on Mac in a hurry. Like, it's kind of wild. Now, it dates back to the offseason stuff and extortion. Look where look where this gets you, by the way, GP, as an aside. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that Mac might not be, you know, clawing and scraping here to, to hold his job. I think he's, you know, I think he's okay and maybe approaching to be at peace here with, uh, with where we are. But regardless of all that, it's still middle of season four, and – I sure it's happened. I haven't had time to think about it because it's been so noisy the past you know, almost 24 hours. So I haven't really gone and researched it, but I'm, I'm trying to remember the last time in men's college basketball that there would have been a hire that was as nearly universally praised as Mac. Now, again, I'm going to tee up here. I know I'm pulling at you right now. I'm, I'm rambling, but there's a lot to get to. We did have that podcast where we did ask, you know, is this going to be the right move? Xavier's a great spot. We did that, but still, even with that, um, Chris Mack to Louisville was the one for months that people thought was going to happen, and it happened. When was the last time a hire that that was, you know, that much of a lock? Didn't see the coach make it to the end of his fourth season at that school. You know, it's 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 a rare one, and, you know, I'm still a little bit surprised that we've actually hit this point where he's expected to part ways with the school by the end of the day today. Well, uh, I don't know that it was, you know, gone by the, you know, before the end of his fourth year, but uh, there, another recent one that was like, everybody thought it would be perfect. And it just wasn't Archie Miller at Indiana. Right. Um, the strings, but he even met, he lasted longer than this, but you're right. Archie Miller was highly, highly praised. Right. Which um, should uh, be a lesson for everybody, you know, come March, April, when these uh, hirings are happening, um, there are some that look great uh, on paper, uh, but nothing is guaranteed to work. Like I, I, I get, I roll my eyes sometimes at people who speak in absolutes about um, teams or games or co- anything that's going to be determined in the future by uh, a, a wide range of variables. I, I don't want to say I've never done it because I'm certain I have. I've, been talking and writing and tweeting for a long time but i i try to catch myself like there's no way this won't work well there is always a way it won't work yep. <laughs> yeah and uh and and in the situation at louisville is a is a, a a great example of that um i feel like what happened here is that nobody knew the name john dromo right That's and, true. It, yeah. and then on sunday night i brought i brought to the world's attention that chris mack was about to uh miss the NCAA tournament for the uh second consecutive tournament making him the first louisville coach to do that since john dromo and the people at louisville were like hold 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 up what like we knew this wasn't going well 
but John Dromo? And now here we are, just a few days later. Um, it's wild to think about how differently this could have gone very easily. Yeah. He made the NCAA tournament in his first year at Louisville. Yes. Would have made it in his second year at Louisville if two not for the two or three seed if that happened. Yeah. If not for the dumbest pandemic of our lifetimes. Certainly mine. And then should have made the tournament last season, but got left out in a way that ran contrary to every or at least most reputable bracketologist. So Chris Mack could have entered the season coming off three straight NCAA tournaments. Instead, he entered the season having missed last season's NCAA tournament. And then for reasons that um, have never made some sense to some people, fired two-thirds of his coaching staff. Then he got caught up in an extortion scandal. And you say this is what extortion leads to, and I I respect that opinion. I see it as oh, an option. Okay. But as we've discussed many times, that was amateur hour extortion. It's not professional extortion. That was amateur hour extortion. I'm a much better extortionist than Dino Gaudio. And I feel like if I counseled him, this whole thing could have played out differently. Either way, Chris and Dino get caught up in an extortion scandal, which is just funny to say. I mean, it's sad. I'm not intentionally laughing, but can't help myself. Um, and Dino mishandled it. Chris mishandled it. It leads to a suspension. Um, this team gets away from him very quickly. Former players turning on him publicly. Current players certainly not inspiring uh, any sort of confidence. And, and now here we are. But, like, you know how the NCAA tournament works, don't you? I hope so. I mean, you get in there regardless of what seed you are, and there's no telling where you can go. And it can change the entire perception of you, your program, everything. And, you know, if we have a 2020 NCAA tournament – who knows where Louisville ends up? Mm -hmm. That could buy you. It could change recruiting, change everything. But but it gets canceled. And then if he gets in the field last season, let's just put him in the first four. Not like there wasn't a team in the first four last season that didn't go to the final four. I'm not saying that would have happened at Louisville. I'm just saying you don't know where things are headed once you get in that bracket. But they miss it. Perhaps incorrectly. And then that starts the domino uh, uh, effect that 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 in part leads to this day. I just I'm always fascinated by how if you take three relatively, you know, uh, flippable things and flip them, somebody's entire life could go differently. And I think that's you know perhaps a, a too simplistic way, but a, a mostly accurate way to describe what has happened here. It's easy for people to say right now. Because I've seen some of this. He's just not the right fit. Never fit. Never this. You know, he could be coming off of three straight NCAA tournaments, and we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't even be in this conversation. Um, you know, as it is, because of this, this, and this, that things that could have easily gone the other way. You know, here we are, January 26, 2022, talking about Chris Max out at Louisville and who's going to be the next coach. Chris Mack went 67 and 38 at Louisville. That's uh 
win percentage of 0. 0.648, 165% of his games. So, uh, you know, Archie Miller didn't win at that clip. So, you know, I just a winning percentage that is that good. Uh, there just aren't many analogs to what's, what's happening here. Uh, now, they've been sliding as of late, you know, lost, what, five of the past six. The only win was at home to a bad Boston College team in that stretch. This is all overshadowed. Russ Diculous getting his number retired over the weekend, by the way. Oh, and no. Completely unfair to the legend Russ Smith. Completely unfair. But, yeah, we're sitting here. Man, we're not even to February, and we've got we've got two of the top 20 jobs in America that are open, and this is happening after a 2021 in which the likes of North Carolina, Indiana, Texas, Marquette, going down the line, just, you know, there had never been so many jobs open in the same calendar year before of high quality in men's college basketball. And now we've got a couple more and this is a topic for another time, but I did, I couldn't help but think like, is this going to lead to a situation where we're talking in two or three weeks about another job in a power conference that opens up? Because there's there certainly are some schools right now that are not performing well, and I could certainly see a change there. Um, and is that going to be something consistent and common? Because we had a little bit of this in college football last season uh, and the season before. And I remember talking to one AD, like, I don't know, mid-November, early November, and that person was wondering aloud if if men's college basketball might be kind of would be heading toward the same pattern. And I said, I don't uh, I don't know. And then like three weeks later, Mark Turgeon actually resigns, but it wasn't opening. It doesn't matter how it came about. And now we have the Louisville thing with Chris Mack. Chris Mack, uh, his buyout is 12 million. So as I understand it, you know, the lawyers and everyone's involved right now trying to figure out how much money Chris Mack is going to get to go away. Again, barring some 11th hour Hail Mary player stand up. Now we want to, we want to be with coach for the rest of the season. Then we can split like, no one, no it, it, like it, it doesn't seem like any players are standing up to do anything, like, but you know, got to claw. They were, actually, they were actually invited to do that in a recent press conference and right. declined the opportunity. You're right. But, I had to qualify it just in case. Just so for the record, as we record this podcast, Chris Mack has not materially split from Louisville. That has not actually happened yet. It can't happen until this meeting at four o'clock later this afternoon. Um, but the terms of the buyout have to be, or the, the terms of the settlement, I should say, need to be determined because he's not going to get all of that money. He's going to want plenty of that money. Um, I'll be interested to see what the, the figure is. Now, I was told that, this contract, which when he took the job, afforded him an extra year if Louisville got a postseason ban and all that. Um, there, there's also there is also clauses in the deal where if Chris Mack was found to have committed, you know, level two violations, it nullified the terms of the buyout. And you know, I had someone tell me before this came out, I had someone tell me this over the weekend that. Um, that the Louisville, you know, there there would be people that would be trying to uncover any possible level two in there to uh, to basically enact a, a for cause clause and and reduce that buyout to to nothing. So I think there's probably and all this stuff came about why 
because Mac recorded the conversation with Dino Gaudio where he alleged that there was wrongdoing within the program. And so then it was this tricky situation where Mac then reported what Gaudio was doing. But by nature of doing that, it revealed that Gaudio was claiming that there was wrongdoing. The NCAA sent an amended notice of allegations to Louisville, which was already under another investigation and said, now we're going to include this um, illegal on-court activities from from non-coaches, video things that, you know, are uh, are against the rules and, you know, a lack of um, compliance or promoting an atmosphere of compliance from Chris Mack. This is in the amended notice of allegations. That is a level two that would fall on Chris Mack and threaten the status of what his bio could be. And so now they're determining how much money he's actually going to get. And maybe I'm not saying this as a fact, but I'm saying if indeed Chris Mack was either approached or approached Louisville officials and said, okay, we can, you know, this is just gone sideways. It's not tenable. And he's, you know, being very amenable in this situation, then maybe he's more likely to get six or seven million of that by settling as opposed to fighting and clawing for three or three and a half. So we wait to see on the details with that, but it is, uh, it is quite interesting to see how much this has accelerated. The losing in general, as it always does, the losing really pushed this. But uh, last thing, I'll throw it back to you, GP. Um, I could not help but notice having, you know, Louisville's not relevant, but I still check in on the games and, you know, have them going up here in the office at night and on the weekends. And uh, even though Russ Ridiculous had his number retired and all that stuff, and it was great, like there have not been butts in the seats in that arena at the level that they expect it to be like the fans have not been actually tangibly showing up to support the program. And I think that has a real powerful um, impact on a coach when things are going sideways and, you know, he was suspended six games to even start the season. So anyway, what else you got on this? Well, um, I want you to clarify a, a, a few things about this contract because um, the the way you phrased it right there was um, if Chris Mack has found to have committed a level one or level two violation, um, the, the buyout could be reduced to zero. Um, in the story that you published last night, it says if a level one or level two violation happens on Chris Mack's watch, which would imply even by one of his assistant coaches, then the buyout could be reduced to zero. Um like, can you further explain that? As I understand the contract, and I did not review the entire thing in advance of this podcast, but it is there is a four cause clause in the contract for any level two violation. Um, so I don't have the specific language on that parish, uh, whether if it was, you know, if if it's, you know, like things that, for example, with, when Rick Pitino was there and he lost his job and things were happening under Rick Pitino's watch that he claimed he didn't know was happening, ultimately that didn't matter and he got he got thrown out. Um, it would stand to reason that Louisville, having come off of the Pitino situation, why would you not insist that these be part of the terms of the contract for the next coach? Because this is what got you into this mess multiple times with Pitino to begin with. Um, but... Uh, certainly I, I think some of that now becomes uh, irrelevant because the NCAA alleges that Chris Mack did not promote an atmosphere of compliance in its NOA. And that would carry a level two violation. Now that case is not done yet. It will not be done for months. We might not have resolution on this until the fall, but because of that, 
you know, the status of, of how much money Chris Mack would make uh, is in jeopardy. And I think that's what they're, I think that's what they're bargaining over right now. But there is a tangible difference between anyone doing anything wrong while Chris Mack is the coach and anything being specifically tied to Chris Mack. Um, and that difference, frankly, uh, the devil could be in the details literally right now in regard to stuff that could have happened at Louisville. That's big picture, not that big of a deal. But for Louisville and its lawyers, when it's going to try and, you know, keep every dime it can keep, uh, that stuff actually does matter. Oh, I think it's the biggest deal. And it, it, it feels like from this, um, uh, you know, from my perspective, it gives Louisville all the negotiating power, all the leverage in the world. Because let's say in a vacuum, you owe the guy $12 million. And you just say, we're not giving you $12 million. That that seems understood. Otherwise, you're because I had some people last night in the studio. Why is he even negotiating? They owe him $12 million. Because it might be zero. And they got to find something that's probably findable. Let's just be honest. Yeah, they got to find something that's probably findable. So if you're Louisville, I mean, you mentioned six or seven million. If you're Louisville, why don't you? What, what stops you from saying, "We'll give you two. What well, two? My contract says twelve. You're going to give me two? Okay, we'll fire you for cause, and um, we will. Um, we'll, we're now actively looking for a level two violation. I bet we'll find one. And then it'll be zero. In the meantime, you'll spend a bunch of money on lawyers. You want the two? Or you want right. to go down this path? Oh, and by the way, if we start looking for violations and we actually find something of substance, not only do we reduce the path to zero, it might make getting your next job a little more complicated. You really want us hunting? One of your assistant coaches is already on tape talking about the program was committing violations. You really want us looking? Or you want to take your $2 million? That's a tough spot, man. It's a game of chicken. And <laughs> I feel like the coach probably blinks before the university. Yeah. Sure. What, a, what a tough spot. Are you a chicken? Oh, am I, am I, am I going to have to retire that one, by the way? When you man. really think back on what, like, Matt gave us some moments, man. We had that. We had this classic one, yes. Are you a chicken? The Kentucky game that... Uh, and all the drama from that during last season, um, that brief video that came out of Max celebrating after beating Kentucky, the extortion, um, the suspension for six games this year tied to what essentially as far he violated university policy, HR policy for firing Gaudio without a university representative in the room and all this stuff. And by nature of doing that, that's how these allegations even come to light. Like it's just, it's, it's wild. But again, to your point about the, you know, hypothetically take the two million or or, you know, F around and find out um, again, if Mac is being amenable in this situation and there are people in that athletic department um, that that have been around them that do like them, they might just, you know, they might just be more willing to be like, OK, well, this is going to this is going to split. But let's just figure out the terms of all this stuff. So that's. That's where we're at right now. Again, at Louisville has no athletic director, no sitting athletic director, no sitting president, and you are presumably about to make the split with Mac. You're going to get these people in positions before you hire your next head coach? Because I'll tell you one thing, what you don't want, you don't want a situation where you've got a board of trustees and some boosters in effect, even though this sometimes, practically speaking, as Parrish well knows, will happen behind the scenes. You need people in positions of authority 
holding full-time jobs making these decisions. So Louisville's got a, and I, apparently they might be hiring the interim as a full-time, the AD as, as a full-time, I guess. Someone told me that yesterday, but um, it makes it makes the situation in terms of who will get this job, who will consider this job fascinating to me. Louisville's been an institutional mess going on a decade-plus parish. Like we talk about, this is a top-10 job. Yeah, when it's operating under normal circumstances, the last time that happened was when? Not since we've had this podcast going. Like it's been forever, and so yes, some they're going to get a, since a, the days of John Dromo. Come on now, so they'll get a good coach, but if you're a Louisville fan, I mean, you can't go. This, this place refuses to go more than one week without some sort of noise, chaos, commotion. I had someone tell me on Tuesday that it's an absolute bleep show, as would it be expected. It's just always something with this school, man. So if I'm a coach that actually has real prospects, like I'm just I'm I'm really thinking long and hard about it if, if I even want this job, you know, Louisville. There's just nothing to suggest right now that the program, the athletic department is capable of just kind of existing in a normal balanced state for any sustainability. It just hasn't happened forever. This isn't just men's basketball. This is throughout the athletic department, throughout the football program. It's it's just been constantly one thing after another. So when I hear like, yeah, like Bruce Pearl to Louisville. Why would Bruce Pearl leave? I know it's it's it sounds. Why would he leave Auburn for Louisville at this point? Auburn is the perfect situation for Bruce Pearl. I'm not saying he he wouldn't and it won't happen. I'm just saying from the outside looking in, if I'm Bruce Pearl, Auburn stuck with me the entire time as there was all this, you know, curiosity, speculation about how badly he could be suspended or have his job impacted by the FBI scandal. And now look what's happened. He got a contract extension. He's got the team to the number one ranking for the first time in program history. He's on top of the sport right now at a football first school, or as he told you on the, on the air over the weekend and everything school. And he has that program positioned in an sec. That's on the, that's on the swing up. So, I mean, and he's also like, he's getting up there. Like not that he wouldn't do a rebuild, but like Bruce Pearl's in a perfect spot to finish out the next five to eight years of his career keeping Auburn in the national conversation and in the tournament almost every single season. So if you're a Louisville fan or if you're speculating on this job, I would just consider just how much needs to be done there and how much uncertainty is still waiting. Like there's another IARP case that is going to be decided here. And we don't know what that is going to entail there. So the job has plenty of enticement, but there are plenty of things where like, if you're a real coach with real accomplishments in a, in a position of leverage, I'm not quite sure why you would take the Louisville job right now. Well, the main reason will be because um, you've had different coaches win national championships. You get to live in a real city. I mean, like that, that matters to some people, you know, um, you know, the, it, college towns are nice, but real cities are preferable for most. And so it's an incredible college basketball job in a real city. Um, and, you know, they can put six years, $30 million in front of you. Um, so they'll, they'll hire somebody who's accomplished. Uh, I don't know that it'll be Bruce Pearl, but, um, you know, this is still one of the best jobs in the country. Um, you know, it, it's, it's always easy for people to say, I don't know why you'd want to walk into that. And, 
and, and because you don't you have the opportunity to walk into that. What happens when that actually says um, this is a place where we've shown you can win national championships, beautiful uh, arena, incredible facilities, lots of money. And um, and said it about Chris Mack. And where are we right now? That's yeah, but I, but here's the thing. Chris Mack, if you if you re Chris Mack would do it all over again. I mean, not with, not with the benefit of hindsight, okay. but but he would, you know, here's the, like it, uh, so, sometimes people will look at like what just happened to Chris Mack and you'll say, um, see, you know, leave well enough alone. You were at your alma mater winning his coach in school history, eight NCAA tournaments in nine years, four sweet 16s and elite eight. And if you go to Louisville, look what like look what happened to Chris Mack. And you know what every coach who would be a legitimate candidate at Louisville thinks? Yeah, but that wouldn't happen to me because I'm me. Because the only guy who could get the Louisville job is somebody who's never failed professionally. If you've never failed professionally, you assume you're not going to. Chris Mack, did, like, I, I'll just be completely transparent. When we wondered on this podcast um, about, like, are we sure this is the right thing for Chris to do? Like, he's got Xavier rocking and rolling. They just were a one seed. It's his alma mater. You know, Louisville's got NCAA cloud hanging above it. Like, are we sure this is the right thing to do? I think a, a question we actually asked each other, are we sure Chris's success at Louisville will be better than the success he's had at Xavier. That's exactly right. We brought that specific question up. Yes. And, you know, we talked through it, however we talked through it. But I subsequently had a conversation with Chris. And he thought I was crazy. He was like, what What? What? what do you mean can't match the success we had at Xavier at Louisville? What? I mean, we were. it, it was good heart. Like, we were having fun with it. But he thought that was wild to even consider. Because why? Because he had never been anything but successful, and now he was going to a place where basically everybody is successful. And the next guy who's going to be offered that job is going to think the same way he did. Yeah, that happened to Chris Mack, just like Kentucky happened to Billy Gillespie, just like North Carolina happened to Matt Doherty. All of these things are possible, but I ain't them guys. It ain't going to happen to me. Anybody who can is good enough to be offered the uh, Louisville job believes in themselves incredibly. And so I, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know on January 26th who's going to be the next coach at Louisville, but um, I bet it'll be somebody good. And I bet when they hire him, we'll say this will probably work out, and then we'll get to see. We'll get we'll get to see how it goes. Meantime, yeah. Rick Pitino, 17 and three, okay, and ranked like 46 spots ahead of Louisville at Ken Palm as the head coach at Iona. What a world! I mean, if we had, imagine us talking and like. Me telling you, listen, less than four years from now, Chris Mack is not going to be the coach at Louisville. Rick Patino will be back in college basketball, and he's going to have a team that's ranked, you know, dozens of spots ahead of the Cardinals at the time of the supper. It, it was not conceivable at that point. It was not. Now, you, I think you at the time, maybe at the time or shortly thereafter, you were like, listen, I want Rick Patino to run my program no matter what. So you were on it, but still, it is. You bring up an interesting little factoid about the current state of the Iona Gales. Dude, Iona is a legitimate at-large candidate. <laughs> Rick Pitino is a legitimate at-large candidate at Iona, and Louisville's about to be looking for a new basketball coach. 
the time Whoa. to come home? It's not time to come home. It'd be the most <laughs> phenomenal thing ever, but it's not time to come home. Oh, I would love that so much. It'd be the, are you kidding me? We might need six consecutive emergency podcasts in a five-hour span, but it, that's not happening. Just, you know what? In the moment, it felt like we had a divorce, but we've had some time apart now, and we know that we're better with each other. I mean, can you, like, I don't even want to engage in this fantasy, but the idea that, like, the next Louisville head coach would be Rick Pitino is. <laughs> we thought we needed to separate. We went through a rough patch, but now we've been apart for a few years, and we realize we're better together. We need each other. It would never happen. Words I can put on the back of a postcard. But it would be incredible if it happened. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. How about we move on? Yeah. So the little Jack Johnson reference for you right there. But yeah, let's yeah, go. Yeah, that's not something I would recognize because I'm not a nerd. The past two nights have produced some interesting results. And the most interesting, I think, that came late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. Woo! It's inside Poly Pavilion. Final score, UCLA 75, Arizona 59. Bruins whipped them in Westwood. I the, saw document, you- the document you have here says UCLA beat Louisville, by the way. So... They, they could have with the way they played last night. Yeah, exactly. Louisville on the brain. Nice win for UCLA. I know you stayed up to watch it. Had to. <laughs> I, had just, I had no choice. We were in studio to like 115, which ain't bad. I was thinking it might be more like 145, but we got out around uh, 115. So, yes, stayed up and watched it. And uh, really nice performance from UCLA. Arizona got all these incredible efficiency numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't make a shot. It was, they just had an off night. Like, I'm, I'm not going to uh, – Kirk Carissa was just horrendous. I mean, it was real bad. It was John Starks in the playoffs bad. But even Starks made a shot. Um, to me, it was way more about UCLA and what it was able to do. Johnny Juzang, Jules Bernard, each had 15. Um, Jaime Jaquez played really well down the stretch. And it was a dominant win. You know, I tweeted before I went to bed late Tuesday night, like, you know, kind of sucks this game was at 11 a.m. Eastern – uh, 11 p.m. Eastern, excuse me, 11 a.m. Eastern for a tip would be something out on, on the West Coast. But a lot of people didn't get to see the game. Um, but it UCLA just reaffirmed its preseason status. Like it, it looked like a top five team against a top five opponent 
on Tuesday night. Arizona didn't play like a top five opponent, but it's ranked third in the country. UCLA, by the way, has defeated Arizona five consecutive times. They've got their number there. But yeah, big time performance for the Bruins. Again, coming off a couple of manageable road wins, but road wins nonetheless. You win any time in league play, and coaches will tell you that it's worth its weight in gold. So they beat Colorado and Utah. They come back. They play a rare Tuesday night tilt because of uh, rescheduling due to COVID. And yeah, good on good on UCLA. McCronin, that that I thought that was good for the Pac-12 and that program. I'm not. I don't. I take almost nothing away from this from an Arizona perspective. Uh, if they had won, uh, our podcast would have been a much tighter crunch because I would have talked to Tommy Lloyd for the court report. But that's not happening. But they'll still be fine. Like I think Arizona is still plenty dangerous. Didn't have Tabellus. Like you know. They weren't even at full strength. So UCLA at home, fans back in the building, good on them. What were your takeaways from the game? Well, they did have Tabellus. He only played 15 minutes. I meant full strength, but yes. Right, yes. And and uh, it wasn't, you know, the fact that he only played 15 minutes suggests that, you know, he's uh, he was, you know, he wasn't 100%. But he did participate in the game. Um, my, I'm with you on Arizona. I think it was a, a horrendous night. Like they shot 30.7% for the field, 25% from three. 54.5% from the free throw line. Like they'll never do that again. <laughs> I mean, that that's going to be the worst shooting performance inside the, like they're one of the best two point um, offensive teams in the country. And they were just terrible. They were terrible in every way offensively. Um, <laughs> when you have a guard go 0 for 12, 0 for 9 from three, is that's a, that's a rough deal. So just a bad performance from Arizona. I, I don't think it's in, indicative of of anything too concerning although it is january 26 and arizona's best wins are over a disappointing michigan team and a five loss illinois like does that concern anybody maybe I not mean, illinois, just beat, illinois just beat michigan state shorthanded on tuesday night what are we talking about like don't down, don't downplay the illinois win what are we talking about here that's on the road i mean oh, they're I only see. wins those are you know that's that's still good it's, it's still great like are you saying you're saying arizona's not good that's where you're going with this right now um, have actually said the opposite of that multiple times. Um, no, I'm not saying Arizona is not good. I'm saying th- these big signature wins that so many other schools ranked in the top five have, um, they they don't. I mean, it, I, and I didn't say Illinois is bad. I'm saying I, I described them accurately. Five loss Illinois. That's what they are. They're five loss Illinois. And Michigan has been disappointing, although, um, you know, the Wolverines still have the talent in that program to turn it around. But at the time, Illinois, I mean, at the time, Arizona beat Michigan. It wasn't like Michigan was operating at a at a high level. I'm just saying, like, they don't uh, most schools have uh, that ranked where Arizona has been ranked, have big, big, big wins, more of them than Arizona has and better ones than Arizona has. And um, it's just something to notice. Yeah, you, I you, agree. You I'm, don't just, have to, yeah. I'm just playing devil's advocate with you. We could look up in week and a half Arizona could solve this issue it's home games next three games at home Arizona State UCLA on the return they play obviously the LA schools in the same weekend with travel partners in the Pac-12 so then Saturday they will play USC and uh, those will be important games for Arizona and the Pac-12 because Oregon by oh by the way uh, lost the game to Colorado that was a home loss on Tuesday night Oregon's win streak is snapped. It's now a 12 and 17 and certainly has plenty of work to do to even get into the NCAA tournament conversation there. So for as much good as that, this result might've provided for the PAC 12 between UCLA and Arizona, Oregon taking that loss to Colorado doesn't help affairs for a conference. That's going to struggle to put four into the tournament. Um, so, you know, Arizona, you know, it is what it is. I'm with you. I, I think they'll be fine. Like, listen, uh, they play UCLA 
at McHale Center next Thursday, they might beat them by 15, you know, <laughs> and we're, we're, we're talking about this from a different perspective. I'm, I'm fine with Arizona. Uh, UCLA, to me, was the story here because um, the Bruins were ranked second in the preseason AP poll, um, largely because they went on an incredible run in the NCAA tournament that uh, moved them into the top 20 at Ken Palm. Then they bring everybody back and roll a five-star freshman. For me, you know, ranking UCLA that high made a lot of sense. In fact, the initial uh, night of the championship game, top 25 and one, actually had UCLA number one. And then Gonzaga just kept enrolling people, so we went with the Zags at number one. But UCLA, I always thought, would be really good. But then sixth game of the season, they get blasted by Gonzaga. I mean, just overwhelmed, completely run off the court. Uh, They end up on a long COVID pause, lasted nearly four weeks, come back, lose to Oregon, and it was at that point that people started, because I see this every day because of the top 25 and one, like folks are in my mentions every morning. And it's like, oh, so now do you realize you overrated UCLA? Now do you realize that you were wrong about UCLA? And here we are now. They're 16 games into their season. They haven't played as many as some because of that COVID pause. But the loss to Oregon was overtime with no fans. You know, they, they, you put fans in that building, they probably win the game. Get one more stop, make one more shot, they win that game. My point is, UCLA could easily be sitting here right now, 15-1 and one with a lone loss to Gonzaga, victories over Villanova and Arizona. It's a good basketball team. You know, I sit in the studio last night with uh, Adam Zucker, of course, Wally Zerbiak, Renee Montgomery, and Wally. Why, it's always fun watching games with Wally because, like, you know, he's a real basketball player, and he, like, he doesn't get caught up in the numbers as much as he really just focuses on what he sees. And he's like, dude, this UCLA team is they're, – they're, they're like legitimately good, national championship good. You know, they got experience. They got real players. You know, Wally's sort of uh, starting point with every team is, do you have the players to win the national championship? If you don't, you know, shut up. You know, it starts with the players. Do you have the players to do it? And he'll watch some teams sometimes that are ranked, you know, second in the country, and he'll be like, hey, okay, what, I don't care what the resume says. I'm just telling you they're not good enough. That team doesn't have the players to go win the whole thing. And with UCLA, he was like, they, they, it start, they got the player. They got the coach, but they've got the players. And I think some of the UCLA skeptics after that performance last night probably have to take a step back a little bit and recognize that, Sure, Gonzaga is the favorite to win the national title. And Auburn is ranked number one. But if you're putting together a list of teams that can go win six games, uh, UCLA prob- probably needs to be on that list somewhere. It definitely needs to be on that list. If you, if you watch the game, uh, you know, Arizona shooting was aside, some of which is just randomness and bad luck for the Wildcats. Um, just saw a national title contender. It's as, it's as pure and simple as that. I think UCLA has plenty of room for improvement still. and. Again, some of this was shooting luck, but like Arizona came in, Arizona came into the game, it scored 59 points, and it, it went into that game as one of the best scoring offenses in the country. It averaged 88.7, second in the country going into the game, was first in assists per game, 21.3, first in rebound rank, more than 43 a game, first in point differential, beating opponents by an average of 24, heading into UCLA, and it was just, it was, it was non-competitive there. So yeah, big, big ups to UCLA in, uh, in getting this win, getting to 14-2. and two. Next up for the Bruins, Thursday at home against Cal. Uh, my thoughts and prayers with the, with the Bears because that's not going to go well for you. And then they will play Saturday at home against Stanford before the returning game, as previously mentioned. Next Thursday, 
It will be at Arizona, and that will be uh, one of the best, if not the best, games of next week. Man, I'm looking forward to sleeping through that one. I'm sure you are. I'll I'll have it covered for the morning <laughs> after podcast. Don't worry. I'll do it. I'll I'll do it. I, I will make a note next Thursday to try to sleep on the plane. So I try to work on the plane typically, but I'll make a note next Thursday. I'm going to sleep on the plane so that I can stay up for UCLA, Arizona, because that seems uh, important. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Some other notable results from the past two nights. We'll start on Monday. Kansas beat Texas Tech. Yeah. Double overtime. 94-91. Like, I got stuck on a runway for two hours. We had a disturbance on the plane. We had to return to the gate, dead leg. Why can't you just stay in your seat, Parrish? This is the third time you've done this in the past four seasons. Baby, when I get in my seat, trust me, I ain't moving. I settle in. Good. But we had a disturbance in the back of the plane. It was so far behind me because I was so close to the front that I couldn't really tell exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. But it, we, had a, we had a character in the back, and it appears that he said something that caused concern or did something that caused concern so they escorted him off of the plane we had to return to the gate we were about to take off we had to return to the gate and then they had to do a bunch of paperwork and that took forever and my point is i was about two hours late getting to new york but still got to watch the end of kansas texas tech well there you go thank god for double overtime ochai abaji with a big-time shot to send it to the second overtime period. He finished with 37 points, looking like an obvious All-American, obvious first-round pick, perhaps a national player of the year. So that was Monday night's big game. Tuesday night, Auburn barely got past Missouri. Duke barely got past Clemson. Kentucky needed overtime to get past Mississippi State. And Illinois, as you noted earlier, beat Michigan State without Kofi Coburn, and Andre Carbello, what stands out from that or anything else that happened over the past couple of days? I'll do it chronologically and just talk real quick on Kansas because that was a really nice win. Texas Tech is now 1-21 all-time at Allen Fieldhouse. The one win came a few years ago in early January. Uh, coincidentally enough, my brother was at that game, and he, he did it on a whim. He was driving across the country. And literally day of, he found himself in Lawrence and got tickets off of wherever. I was like, yeah, go. You should enjoy it. Texas Tech is good, but uh, Kansas is going to win. So enjoy it. And then <laughs> sure enough, Kansas does not win that game. It's the only time TTU has been able to win that building. Almost got it done in that one. Bryson Williams had 33. Uh, I think that was the most by an opponent in that building since Buddy Heald uh, had that huge, huge performance, 40 plus in triple overtime. Uh, what, five, four, five seasons ago now? But Texas Tech 
Man, what a team. Mark Adams done a really, really good job there and uh, almost pulled it off. Remember, this was a return game. Texas Tech would have had its first ever regular season sweep of Kansas if it, if it had been able to do this. It couldn't. Um, what do you want from Kansas? 17-2, and two, one seed caliber right now as far as I'm concerned. Uh, continues to look good. And my question for you off the top of that bald dome of yours is yes. Ochai Abaji, your national player of the year front runner as of the morning of January 26th. I honestly haven't put enough thought in it to say that definitively, like to create a headline, but um, he's obviously got to be. Yeah. I mean, he's now averaging 21.3 points, 5.0 rebounds, shooting 47% from three. Yes. I mean, that like six, five shooting 47% from three good athlete, great body mm-hmm. like that. That's how, that's how you end up as a lottery pick. If you remember, and I know you do because you got a great memory. We were at Champions Classic, uh, Madison Square Garden. Yes. To um, start the season. And afterward, you know, somebody asked Ochai, you know, how close were you to staying in the NBA draft? He was like, very close, very close. But I was told by enough NBA people that I need to come back to school and work on A, B, and C. And so that's what I decided to do. And every borderline NBA prospect who's ever returned to school after exploring the NBA says that. They all say, I came back to school to get better at A, B, and C. This dude really did do exactly what they told him to do. <laughs> like, come back, be more aggressive, uh, become a better three-point shooter. And he is all of those things. We talked about it early in the year. What seemed to have indicate that this early season jump was real and sustainable was because he was taking 14, 15, 16 shots a game. Like he wasn't, he was going to go be aggressive, get shots and, and be the best player on a team that also features the preseason big 12 player of the year. Don't ever forget that. Ocha Abaji might be the best player in the country right now. He wasn't supposed to be the best player on his team. That's how big of a jump he's taken from last season to this. And it's been uh, fun to watch. Um, I, I do a, a hit in Kansas City every Tuesday with Sarim Petro, who's terrific. And so we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, Kansas basketball. And we often get into these conversations like, um, so are we concerned about this? Are we concerned about that? And every time um, I'm compelled to point out, like, Kansas is 17 and 2. You know, they've got yeah. uh, probably at least two NBA players in Ochai Baji and Christian Brown. Um, they've got other guy. Here's the interesting thing about Kansas, or among the interesting things. Like, Abaji's going big every night. Christian Brown's pretty reliable. Mm-hmm. and But then they've got other guys that can <clears throat> go off at any time. Remy Martin could, like, pop you for 25. Uh, David McCormack has had these 15-15 games. Jalen Wilson can have a big game. Like, yeah. they got at least five guys that can have, like, the game of the night in college basketball, reasonably. And that's going to make Kansas, a, 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 you know, tough to deal with throughout the rest of this Big 12 schedule and obviously in the NCAA tournament. Defensively, still not where they need to be. You know, 49th in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. But top five in offensive efficiency, Um, they've got a slew of really, really good players. They've got legitimate NBA talent. They've got a Hall of Fame coach. You know, they've been a number one seed in eight of the past 14 NCAA tournaments. And right now, um, you would think that's going to extend to nine and 15. 
I think I'd have a Baji right there with Oscar Sheboy, who I'll get to in just a second. Johnny Davis at Wisconsin. Drew Timmy's numbers are still pretty respectable. Um, so that's probably my top four. It's crowded though. There's more, but you know, off the top of my head, those those four. But I, if you made me vote right now today, I would vote Otai Baji uh, as the National Player of the Year. But one fun thing about this season is that that answer could understandably and reasonably change within 10 days from now. And I hope that it does. And we have a, a true viable multiplayer, you know, three prong, four prong race for national player of the year. By the time we get into, we get into March. Since I mentioned Sheboy, we'll talk uh, Kentucky real quick here. It got a good push from Mississippi state. I do think that I had this on the site last week's court report. I think Mississippi state's going to be one of those teams where it feels like every season we get to like the final week before the tournament starts and uh, you look at bracket projections and suddenly there's like, there's just a team or two where it's like, Oh, this team is okay. Okay. They're projected to be in the field. They haven't really been on the radar or relevant. They don't have huge wins, but you look at what they've done and okay. Like maybe they're barely going to get in. I think that is going to be Mississippi state this season. Now, had it been able to win at Kentucky, man, talk about a win that would have really had some, uh, some long-term value. The, the Bulldogs still got to get the W's there. They're not there yet, clearly. Uh, they have a win over Alabama, which, by the way, uh, in, in now has the most bizarre resume in the entire sport. The Tide did not win against Georgia on Tuesday, but save it for another time. Um, Iris and Molinar was awesome. I love watching that dude play for Mississippi State, and he had one of the best games, if not the best game of his college career on Tuesday night, but it was not enough. Oscar Sheboy, 21 points, 22 rebounds. Kentucky gets a gets a win that I thought was important just to keep pace in the SEC with Auburn, which struggled against Missouri. But UK now 16-4, and four, bounces back from the loss against Auburn. And uh, good to get that win because now it's got to go, oh, by the way, on the road this weekend, best game in the sport, Kentucky at Kansas. I've been in that building for that matchup between those schools, and it was a phenomenal one what, six years ago or so. Um, so we'll preview that on the Friday episode. But, yeah. Good, good win for Kentucky, uh, which, you know, did not have Ty Ty Washington, but they were able to overcome it. You know, stat line, Kellen Grady, 18 points, had a couple of big threes in overtime. Sevilla Wheeler logged uh, 15 points in 32 minutes. It was nice to see him be able to play. And um, yeah, so I don't know if you have anything along with Kentucky, but I did at least want to mention that was, it was a more compelling game than I thought it was going to be. And Kentucky made their fans sweat just a little bit, but they get the win. Well, Kentucky was up big, and then it ends up in an overtime situation. So that's a little disappointing. You want to you don't want to give up double digit leads at home, but on the other hand, um, you know you, you're down without uh, your best NBA prospect, Ty Ty Washington, and you still are able to to get a win and keep it moving, a bounce back win after a tough loss at Auburn. Like we saw what they were without Ty Ty at Auburn. They were up nine with him, and then they lost by nine. It was an 18-point swing in the final 28 minutes when Ty Ty Washington went down with that left ankle injury. So, um, you know, I, I, I bounce back win in between Auburn and Kansas uh, without Ty Ty Washington. If you're John Calipari, you're not thrilled with how it went down, but um, I, I think you're you're pleased that you just, you know, you put it in the win column and, and moved on. Um, if you guys are watching on YouTube right now, do me a favor, smash the like button like Brandon Davies would. My boss would be disappointed in me if I if I uh, didn't tell you to do that. And I'll be disappointed in you if you don't actually do that. They tell us it, it, it helps tremendously. So please, if you're watching on YouTube, like it's right in front of you for crying out loud, just smash the like button. Brandon Davies would do it. 
Can I get your thoughts on the fact that Missouri loses at home to Auburn and its fans chant overrated at the Tigers? <laughs> I didn't catch that part of that. Yeah. Missouri lose Missouri loses. Now, just one point. I you know, the game was in doubt. Katie Johnson. Love watching that guy play, man. So much about Auburn, but whatever. We talked about the Tigers playing before. We will again. Whatever. Auburn gets the win. Missouri's eight and eleven. Lost four of his past five, two and five in the SEC. Loses fifty-five to fifty-four. And its fans chant overrated Auburn. Can we get a verdict? Yay or nay to, to that? Listen, I, I wouldn't do it, but I feel like I've, you know, focused too much on Jesse Newell already. I was a little surprised to see him show up at Mizzou Arena and, ch- and chant overrated at Auburn. But I can respect the dedication. What if it was Jesse? What if the cameras got it? It was just Jesse's in Mizzou Arena chanting overrated at Auburn. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Ah, amazing. For those that might not be, for those that might not be aware, Jesse Newell is the beat writer uh, for at Kansas who logs his votes um, using a combination of different predictive metrics. And so it was his placement of Auburn at number nine a week ago that prevented Auburn being number one. So Paris, very cheeky there, and um, that's too I, funny. I just I think it's hilarious and an indictment on the statement of your program of your fan base when you lose the game and lack the self awareness not to realize how absurdly ridiculous you looked when cameras and audio catches you chanting overrated against a team that you just lost to. Wow. Amazing, Mizzou. Amazing. Well, Missouri, Missouri's in a bad spot, you know? They've lost their way a little bit. Perhaps they'll get it back at, at some talk point. About a wayward, yeah, talk about a wayward uh, fan base there. Anyway. So, um, so, uh, so Auburn was down. Katie Johnson just takes over. Yeah. I, I tell you one thing I learned about Auburn over the past week. Final couple minutes of a close game, that dude's not passing. It's no interest in passing the ball. It dribble, 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 dribble. I'm going to get a shot up one way or another. To his credit, he's doing it. He made big plays. And then, listen, I like Hanzo Martin. I think he's a really good coach. But the end of that game, um, he would love to have it back, I'm certain. About a four-second difference between game clock and shot clock. He decides to play it out rather than um, rather than uh, foul and extend the game. Uh, and uh, the the problem with that is that uh, if Auburn goes late into the shot clock and it went like the latest into the shot clock you could go, there's some question about whether Katie Johnson even got the shot off. Um, it, it, I mean, even if you rebound it cleanly, you got a long way to go in very little time. And if a seven-foot Walker Kessler happens to bounce it around a little bit, well, then you're never even going to get the ball back. Like Missouri tried to play it out and never got the ball again. Um, that's obviously a a failure. But I was texting with Bruce Pearl on Monday, I guess, after it became official. Auburn's number one in the uh, AP poll for the first time in school history. And he was sort of joking, like, I hope I can keep this one longer than I kept the last one. Because if you don't remember, uh, Bruce took Tennessee to number one for the first time in school history uh, in 2008. On Monday, they moved to number one. On Tuesday, they played at Vanderbilt, lost the game. And so he was sort of laughing, like, I, you know, I hope this one goes better than that one. And it almost actually went worse <laughs> because Vandy was like a legitimate team yeah. in 2008. Missouri oh. is, is not, um, it's not somebody that should be – the current state of Missouri should not be beating the number one team in the country. And uh, it, it nearly happened on Tuesday night. So that was a close call for um, a legitimate national title contender. And then, like I mentioned, Duke had a close call 
as a legitimate national title contender. The Duke was without Trevor Keels. That matters, but still needed Paulo Bencaro to make a big shot, you know, in the final minute to to lift them to a two point win. And you know, Duke is now sixteen and three. The resume isn't great. You know, they've got they've got they got two big wins, and then like you know, there's not there's the not Arizona of the East Coast is what you're saying. Duke is very much the Arizona of of the East Coast. Um, like, uh, like they've got the big Gonzaga win, the big, big Kentucky win. So when I say they don't have you know a, a great resume, like I I'm aware of who they've beaten. But after that, there's not a lot there. You know, Baylor's got seven quad one wins. Duke ain't sniffing that right now. Um, but the three losses are by a total of eight points. You know, Duke is very close to being eighteen and one. Or even nineteen and zero, and I know that's a big game of what if, but uh, that Duke team is is obviously good, and you know you you you'd, you'd prefer not to struggle with Clemson, but you know I guess same thing I said about Kentucky, get a W, keep it moving. Yeah, there was some good stuff from Paulo Bancaro, mostly at the end of that game. He had uh, he had one shot that I wouldn't have advised, but o- overall he just you know the Arsenal was on display from an offensive standpoint, working the post, mid range, long range, great handle. Uh, and yeah, they went to Ben Carroll late. Uh, let's see how often Mike Krzyzewski deploys that tactic going forward for the blue devils. And then Illinois beats, uh, Michigan state by one at home without Coburn and Curbelo. Uh, because of this, we again have a log jam in the big 10 Michigan state entered the night with the best record in the conference. And now as we talk on Wednesday morning, Illinois, MSU, Wisconsin, and Ohio State all have two losses apiece. Purdue has three. And then Indiana, Rutgers, and Iowa all have four. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's it's building into a five-way race in the Big Ten, which I think is just terrific. I think that's 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 awesome. The Kempon projections right now will be that Illinois finishes with six losses, as will Michigan State, and then it's got Wisconsin and Ohio State with seven. Purdue also with uh, with six, those game totals in league play don't match at the moment because not everything has been rescheduled yet from previous COVID postponements. We'll see if the Big Ten can get all of its teams to play 20 league games by the time we get to um, the, the the tournament there. But yeah, I mean, you know, MSU only getting 55 without Coburn and Curbelo in the game was obviously surprising they didn't uh take a lot of threes they, they only made three of them they went three or 14 from deep trent frazier i thought was was just tremendous and you know his kind of night one of the better players in the history of illinois program and i think someone who's plenty beloved by that fan base and rightfully so he's been there for a long time he's played a lot of different roles he had a uh he had a game high 16 only uh him and uh alfonso Plummer got into double digits for illinois Plummer had 11 there but i thought it was a big win for the for the illini after you know not having Coburn here, taking two straight losses, tough one at home, double OT to Purdue more than a week ago. And then they get, you know, I say quietly blown out Friday night because it was a Friday night and Maryland is just not relevant. And so they lose non-competitively without Coburn. They come back, they get a win at home. The next game will be Saturday against Northwestern as they are tied atop the league standings at seven and two. Um, Michigan State shot 34.5% from the field in that game. Just, I mean, you went at Wisconsin on Friday night. And then you back it up with a loss to shorthanded Illinois. Like you're supp- and they just fell behind so big. And then like it's one of those games we talked about this before. It's a 40 minute game. It's a 43 minute game. Michigan State probably wins it. It felt like it was headed that way. But uh, it's not. It's a 40 minute game. And they dug a big hole and they couldn't get out of it. And so Illinois gets a, a nice win down two of its top five scores. Anything else? We ready to go? 
Uh, just quick heads up on a couple games here for Wednesday. Providence plays Xavier 630 CBS Sports Network. That's a really nice game. Uh, and GP will be in studio. So Damn GP, right. do, you have, do you have inside college basketball at six? You know what? That's a good question. All right. Well, but my like, <laughs> I, oh, I, I actually I actually don't think we do. Okay, <laughs> never mind. So, uh, but Paris will be on halftime of that. Yes. PC Xavier six thirty, and then VCU Davidson is the eight thirty tip. Uh, Davidson is a significant portion of the Wednesday court report, which has not yet published as we record this, but will on Wednesday afternoon. Um, the question is: Is this the best Davidson team since Stephen Curry was there? You can certainly make that argument. So that is a, a portion of today's court report. Eight thirty. Davidson going for the rare sweep of VCU. It's already beat him once. See if he can do it again. This will be a home game for Davidson. And then Wednesday night, also 8.30, you have Marquette blazing hot against a Seton Hall team, which took an inexplicable uh, home loss on Monday to St. John's. We'll see if Seton Hall can rebound and uh, and maintain uh, a pretty healthy NCAA tournament resume. And then Thursday is actually pretty quiet, but I'd say the two games to keep an eye on. There's a lot of good teams playing against not good teams, so it's actually not a too loaded Wednesday and Thursday. But if you're listening and the podcast tends you to, to point you in the right direction, I say the two best are probably Purdue at Iowa. I'm curious to see what both those teams do in that spot. That's a nine Eastern tip on Thursday. And then St. Mary's at San Francisco, a couple of West Coast Conference teams that are clearly projected to make the NCAA tournament at this stage. I would advise the Dons to take care of business and win that game at home against the Gales. If they lose, things will start to get a little bit tricky. That is a 10 Eastern tip on Thursday night. Do you realize today is an important anniversary? In the history of basketball. Mm. Okay, I don't, I don't know what it is. Twenty January twenty sixth. What am I, what am I missing here? Well, um, sadly, um, it's the two year anniversary of the death of Kobe Bryant. Oh, I did not realize today was. It's been two years. Wow, it's been a hell of a two years, you know. Yeah. And so I guess that uh, that's for all purposes. It's the 12-year anniversary. Oh, is it really? Oh, man, I thought about this like two weeks ago, and I forgot to – I was going to have the stuff queued up too. Do you remember – before you reveal it, do you remember when I did this? I would have done this podcast intro – I really think it was like six years ago. Do you remember when I did the podcast intro of the radio call with all that stuff? No, you don't remember hell. You don't remember any of that stuff. Anyway, tell them what it is. For you, something special. I don't remember the uh, specifics of it, but it is today the 12 year anniversary of the Devin Downey game. 30 points, five rebounds, three assists, two steals in a 68 62 South Carolina victory over John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats. UK was 19 0, ranked number one in the country. John Calipari's first loss at Kentucky was delivered by the great Devin Downey, the legend. The legend and great Devin Downey. It's been 12 years. Yeah, there was an episode where the entire intro was the radio call bits and pieces. I think radio and TV combined of just Devin Downey going off, going off against uh, against a Kentucky team. Um, man, that's that's just wild. I think that it's been 12 years since that happened. But yeah, this is a, this is a I, I don't know why we didn't start with this. I listen the Mac News is significant. I, I get all that, but. I can't believe you let me go more than an hour before reminding me that it was actually today. How dare you? Some people like to bring up that Devin Downey was 9 of 29 from the field in that game. I don't like those people. To those That's people. actually genuinely stunning. 
when I looked at it this morning, I was like, nine to twenty nine. I didn't remember that part. <laughs> I feel I feel like he was twenty eight for twenty nine. My man missed twenty shots in a in a game and got a and got a podcast shout out forever. Missed twenty shots in a game. That's on you. We'll be shouting out Arizona's backcourt <laughs> forever. Might as well be shouting out Arizona's backcourt. Uh, amazing. Shouts to David Downey. That's right. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Logan Lowry, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to I on College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the absolute dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Never seen one like this. Never seen one like this. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere. You subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Leave nice reviews while you're there. Five stars at both places at Apple. Please leave a nice like take some take. We talk. We just talk for sixty-five minutes. You could take one minute and type some nice words. There's more of us than there are of them. That has to be reflected in the podcast reviews. There's more of us than there are of them. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, shame on you. Honestly, we've been begging you like idiots for a while now. If you're not subscribed by now, shame on you. Smash the like button. That helps. And we're going to talk to you again on Friday morning. Till then, take care. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.